The 1920s were some of the most incredibly shaping years in all of history. Something about the jazzy, sparkly vibes have always pulled me into this era, so I have started a series in which I will dive deep into the history year by year. Hi, I'm Anne, your host of this All About series. Usually when we think of the 20s, we imagine the iconic flapper, booze, and the darkly lit pavement glistening in the rain. You may think of the 20s as being one big party, and you're not entirely wrong. Just think of it as a party with drug lords and the mafia and all sorts of shifty stuff going on in the corner while the rest of the people are dancing and smoking and doing drag. The decade started off in the shadow of the Great War, which had ended two years ago in 1918. Things were looking good. People were no longer living in fear, and they were enjoying their regained freedom. Woodrow Wilson was the President of America, Robert Borden was the Prime Minister in Canada, and England was being run by David Lloyd George. I would like to point out that it was in 1920 that America had its first female president. It wasn't official, but a woman was running the states. Her name was Edith Wilson, and she was the second wife of Woodrow Wilson. After he had suffered a massive stroke, she stepped forward to take charge of the nation while he got better. It took him 17 months, and in that time, Edith kept things running smoothly. She used to be the perfect picture of a hostess, but during the war, she proved that she was much more than simply that, a hostess. She was a major encourager for gasless Sundays, meatless Mondays, and wheatless Wednesdays. I think this next fact is funny because people are always telling me that I should just let my guinea pig loose around the yard, so that way I won't have to mow the lawn. For those of you who don't know, guinea pigs really like to eat grass. Edith actually replaced the White House groundskeepers with sheep. Her reasoning behind this was not to steal manpower away from the war effort, and sheep eat everything, so it worked out in the end. To be honest, I think this first lady is my new real-life hero. I mean, she ran a whole country and got praise from world leaders, but she never actually referred to herself as a president, which proved she wasn't doing it for publicity. She was doing it out of love for her husband and dedication to her country. Now let's talk about some other women, more common than female, almost presidents. The vast majority of females in 1920 were known as flappers. I have had countless daydreams about going back in time and becoming a flapper. All the songs I would sing, dances I would dance. Flappers were bright young women with a flair for life. I really like that line. They were full of energy and fully embraced this new post-war lifestyle. Their styles were much different in, from in the 1910s, where women wore long, floor-length dresses, sensible boots, and rarely anything without sleeves. Flappers wore dresses that exposed their lower legs, and sometimes they were even cut above the knees. I mean, how scandalous. The neckline was much lower, and instead of boots, they put on high heels. They were only about two inches high, but I'm sure to the more traditional folk, it probably looked as ridiculous as those sneaker high heels that I've seen in today's fashion industry. Not the wedges, those ones can actually look cool, but the ones that are designed like fancy ones, but are made to look like trainers, and they're just quite stupid in my opinion. I mean, what are you even supposed to wear them with? Jeans, I guess? But where? Where are you ever going to wear those hideous shoes? Okay, now I'm getting off topic. Let's go back to the 20s. Okay. They began to wear cosmetics such as lipstick and rouge. Rather than having yards of hair and tying it up into elaborate fashions, short, chin-length hairstyles known as bobs were preferred. Apart from the major effects they had on fashion, flappers also greatly changed the roles of women everywhere. 
not only did they go out to dance and smoke but they could also own property and were constantly pushing for equal rights some of the boundaries that were being fought for include gender economic and sexual freedom this had a huge impact on society because on december 23rd it became illegal to deny somebody a job simply because they were female in celebration of more and more rights women went to more and more clubs predominantly jazz but there was a fair amount who worked at other more risque clubs sexuality was becoming more of a public thing and many advertisers used this to their advantage along with this another new thing to this era was jazz the jazz movement had started before 1920 but it was only now that it was really beginning to get noticed new orleans is where it started african americans were sharing their sounds amongst each other giving and taking little tricks and techniques at first nobody but the people of new orleans were able to hear and enjoy jazz but as racism and prejudice returned to society these musicians moved to other parts of the country with new york kansas city and chicago in mind as they began to settle into their new homes the idea of jazz was spreading throughout the states obviously it was also starting to become incredibly popular throughout other places in the world but most of my research was pretty focused on america in chicago they had never heard this new orleans sound before people understandably fell quickly in love with this style of music at first people would have to go to black neighborhoods to experience jazz as the musicians weren't playing anywhere else at this point but as the years went on you could experience jazz anywhere you want it is interesting to note that when it really started taking off segregated clubs appeared in black clubs the music was fun and wild while in white jazz halls it became quote-unquote more polite in new york the harlem renaissance had begun manhattan was being filled with new buildings and housing opportunities upper-class citizens were moving to the city which meant that there were a lot of empty houses and apartments the black community began to move here to harlem the population shot up and so did jazz in new york this is the start of what was called the golden age of jazz to be honest kansas city is probably one of the more influential places of jazz mostly because the city was filled with music. Everywhere you went, you would be able to hear a trumpet or a clarinet. Originally, jazz bands had a clarinet, a trombone, and some percussion. Sometimes there would be a trumpet or a saxophone involved, but what I'm really trying to get at is they were small groups. The saxophone was, and still is, the most important instrument to Kansas City. It was here that the riff was first played, and since greatly took off and has become incredibly popular in rock and roll music. Now for the fun stuff, this is my complete favorite part, crimes in 1920. This first case has been called the Ragged Stranger, a name dubbed by the press. Carl Wanderer was a soldier in the First World War. He started as a machine gunner but was quickly promoted all the way up to second lieutenant. By the word of almost everyone who met him, he was a good man and an excellent soldier as well as officer. He had returned home from France to Chicago and married Ruth Johnson. They moved in with her family and lived with them for a year or so before the incident. On June 21st, 1920, the couple was walking home after seeing a movie when a man jumped them. He was shabby looking and his clothes were not taken care of at all. The stranger shot ten times and Carl quickly pulled out his revolver and shot back. Unfortunately, he was too late. Ruth had already been hit multiple times and to make matters even sadder, she had been pregnant. Two of the three involved had died. Carl's wife, Ruth, and the ragged stranger. Both investigators and reporters began to sense that things were not right with this case. 
There were many shots fired that night, but Carl seemed to be unscathed. The ragged stranger had used a forty-five Colt service revolver, which was an expensive gun. This seems strange, seeing that he died with only three dollars on his person. Now, Charles MacArthur and Ben Hecht were Chicago reporters. After a little investigation, they found that the gun used by the stranger had previously belonged to a cousin of Carl's. Hecht then found letters that were written to Carl by his male lover. They, along with everyone else, saw this as a motive to have his pregnant wife shot. He indeed was found guilty of the crime and was executed the next year on September 30th. The two reporters who worked on the case would go on to become Hollywood legends. Charles MacArthur was the producer and director of Crimes Without Passion, along with Ben Hecht. Ben also wrote other incredibly famous film scripts, such as For Gone with the Wind and Wuthering Heights. This next one is an unsolved case that took place about ten days before the Ragged Stranger mystery. On June 11, 1920, Joseph Bowne Elwell was found in his living room with a bullet hole straight through his forehead. He was found by his maid, Marie Larson. She had let herself into his house, as always, and began to clean. She found that the living room door was closed and locked from the inside, which was strange, but she didn't think much of it. She could smell Elwell's cigar and unlocked this door. She called out a greeting to him, as he was a very friendly man and would always answer, but when he didn't, she became concerned. She rushed over to him where he was sitting, barefoot, in his silk pajamas, and opening the mail. At first she didn't recognize him. In the chair, there seemed to be a balding old man, without any teeth. The Joseph that Marina was much different than the one she found dying in the chair. She quickly realized it was, in fact, her employer, just without his wigs and dentures, and she rushed off to get the police. Just before we continue with the investigation, let's learn a bit more about Mr. Elwell. He was a famous man at the time, known for his gambling and womanizing habits. He had had affairs with many women, including those who were married and even younger ladies as well. As we can see from just that small amount of information, he could have had thousands of enemies. And in fact, he did. Between his gambling and parents and husbands of those who he had been intimate with, nearly everyone in Manhattan had something against him. The previous night, he was out until nearly 4 a.m. with Walter Lewison and his wife, and Viola Kraus, who was Walter's sister. Neighbors of Joseph saw nobody but him enter the mansion that night. They also saw nobody leaving. Stranger still is the fact that the room he was in was locked from the inside, and all the windows were barred. Continuing with the investigation, the police discovered by examining the bullet hole and angles in his skull that he was shot with a forty-five caliber handgun. It was speculated that Elwell most likely knew who his killer was, since the angles of the entry hole indicated somebody bending down to talk to him, so he would have been able to see who he was talking to. However, no gun was ever found. There were no signs of a struggle and nothing from his house was taken, indicating that this was a planned and personal crime. The murderer would have had to find their own way into the house without breaking and entering, or Joseph himself would have had to let them in. He was last seen around 7 a.m. picking up a paper outside and found just after 8.30, so it's highly unlikely that he did let somebody into his home. Investigators also found a love list in his room, a paper containing over 50 names of all the women he had slept with, their contact information, and notes about them. Each lady was interviewed and found innocent of the crime. Some believe that Mary, the maid, was responsible, and when I first read this, so did I. I mean, they searched the entire house, and the only fingerprints that were found were Joseph's and Mary Larson's. 
very suspicious. Something that adds up against the maid is she had previously planted Walter's sister Viola's lingerie in his room to avoid making it look like she herself had done it. Incredibly fishy, if I do say so myself. Nobody has ever been able to come up with more evidence, and the case has remained cold until a few years later when a man came forward claiming to have killed him. But it was proven that he had never even met Joseph in his life, and he had been with his wife that whole night. To this day, nobody knows who killed him or exactly why. I have my theories, just as I'm sure you all do as well. This murder supposedly inspired the character Jay Gatsby in the classic 20s book The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald which I thought was pretty cool. I mean, the womanizing, upperclassmanship, and partying, I can definitely see the similarities. As you can see, there was a lot of crime in this era, and this is only 1920, the first year of the decade, so there was a lot more to come. Let's just say that. Before I end this first episode, I want to thank you for listening and share some notable events and inventions from 1920. First, some famous films such as The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, One Arabian Night, Humoresque, and The Mark of Zorro came out this year. The Olympic flag made its first appearance in the Summer Olympic Games in Antwerp, Belgium. The five interlocking rings were meant to represent unity after World War I. Amelia Earhart took her first ever flight. She was a passenger and flew with the World War I pilot Frank Hawkes. She would have been 13 years old, and the very next year she was flying solo. Agatha Christie published her first ever novel, The Mysterious Affair at Stiles. Al Capone moved to Chicago this year. Before this, he was making an honest living as a bookkeeper for his father in Baltimore. If you've ever been to a fun fair, I'm pretty sure you will have enjoyed going on the roller coasters. Well, maybe not enjoyed, but maybe you've been on one. Anyway, the roller coaster was invented in 1920. And last but certainly not least, it was no longer legal to mail babies. Yes. For a good seven years, you were able to ship your children through the mail. I mean, what a world. Thanks again for listening. I hope you enjoyed and you learned something about 1920 that you didn't already know. 